0: This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media. Thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. Today. Today.
1: Today.
0: Today with Jeff Fines,
1: We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist and Bible teacher. Bringing people far from God, near to God. We believe in one truth that will be delivered in love and compassion. Connecting every one person to all that God has promised them.
0: Today, today, today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Why am I here? Why doesn't God save everyone? Just a few questions Pastor Jeff is looking at in this message. Hi and welcome. My name is Bill and this is Today with Jeff Vines. We're at the beginning of a big series looking at the overarching story of the Bible. And today, Pastor Jeff continues answering some of those big questions in life. He uses the account of Abraham in the Bible as an example of how we must trust in the promises of God. Here's Pastor Jeff now.
1: Here's the lower story. Here's what makes Abraham so unique. Now we're talking about the lower story right now. We'll get to the bigger story the narrative. The lower story is this. Abraham, I'm not saying it's perfect, but here's what you do notice about Abraham. Abraham, ultimately, when everything's said and done, over time, you'll notice he really did trust in the promises of God, even though he sometimes did not understand them completely. And because he trusted, there were times in his life he would come to God and say, God, you told me this, you said that. You, know, you told me you were gonna give me this land. You told me you are gonna give this people. God, I just wanna know when's it all gonna happen. As a matter of fact, God, right now, I'd settle just for an okay life. Abraham is able to live a big life because he trusted in the promises of God. How did he do it? Let me let me help you along here. This is April Smith. She's one of the victims of the tornadoes in Arkansas. Her story has gone viral. Here's why. She lost everything. This is her house before and after. But the most precious thing she lost is in this photograph, her two sons. She and her husband and her children were in a bathtub covered with a mattress. The tornado ripped right through the center of their house. The two children died. He ended up in a hospital. She ended up in a separate one because of the the significance of the injury. The story's gone viral because, well, April is a Christian. Her friend, Jessica Sowards, wept for two days. True story when she heard what happened to her friend. Finally, she got up the nerve to go and see her. She said there was an overwhelming sadness, overwhelming sadness that the two children were gone, but there was an overwhelming stability in April that she had never seen. And it so overwhelmed her that she said to her friend April, April, the world has got to know the way you're dealing with this. When this is all over, I'm going to write about it. And April said, No, you're not going to write about it. When it's all over, you're going to write about it now. And she did. And it went viral because she wrote, for those of you who wonder how April and Daniel, Daniel's the husband, and you're worried about them if they're ever going to be the same after the loss of their kids. Please don't worry anymore, she said. I have seen her hope. It is anchored in eternity. It is the kind of hope that saves people, and that's not just optimism. What is she saying? How do, you, how do you do that? How do you lose two children and keep going with your faith and trust in God? How do you do that? The same way Abraham did it. Someone has written this. That each new morning, there are new widows, new orphans, new mourners, new pain. Every single day, circumstances come at you. The Bible tends to tell you that when those circumstances come at you, you're either going to master them or they're going to master you. You decide. Okay, fine, Pastor Jeff, but how? Genesis 15, and we're not even there yet. Stay with me now. genesis It's going to tell us how Abraham was able to do it and how April was able to do it and how you can do it too. And in Hebrews chapter six is kind of a New Testament version of what happened in Genesis chapter 15. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it in an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Abraham took the promises of God and he used it as an anchor for the soul, which meant that no matter what was Happening around him, he trusted in the promises of God. He bowed his neck, he maintained his stride, and because of that, he lived a big life. Now, stay with me for a moment. You know what an anchor is, right? Right, okay. When I lived in New Zealand, uh, my friend Bill McCarthy, who loved to do, who loved to fish, he actually did a fishing show, took me to the Coromandel Peninsula. This is a beautiful peninsula on the southern tip of the North Island. My dad was visiting, so my dad was weak and frail. This was, you know, this was at time he was really sick, but he came to see me during Christmas time. And Bill wanted to take us out fishing, so we got in this boat down the Coromandel, which is in the middle of nowhere, no houses, no nothing. We slept in tents, and, and, and humanity was not meant to sleep in tents. That's why we've evolved. And so we went down to the Coromandel Peninsula, we slept in these tents out in the open air, and we, he took us out fishing. He had this little boat, little boat, that I mentioned little, very little. And we went out, And in New Zealand, it's called Aotearoa, the land of the long white cloud. When the clouds come over, a a, a thing called whiteout occurs where you can't distinguish the difference between the ocean and the sky because they're the same exact color. And so we're drifting out on this boat going fishing, right? And we're going farther and farther. And I'm getting nervous because I don't like the ocean. Now, I like the beach, but I never get in the water. I saw Jaws 1, Jaws 2, and Jaws 3. (laughs) I don't get in the water, but I do love the beach. I love just chilling, reading, but I don't get in the water. I get in the pool, but I don't get in the ocean. And so the ocean makes me nervous. And so we're drifting, we're drifting. And finally, I was really afraid for myself. My dad, we had no life jackets, which was stupid. But my dad was here. I'm thinking, man, we are in big trouble. We are in such big trouble. And my friend Bill McCarthy noticed that I was a little concerned and I was a little bit short with him in my attitude. And he said, hey, what's wrong, Jeff? I said, well, dude, man, we've been drifting out here for hours. We have no idea where we are. He said, Jeff, it's called an anchor. We're about 500 feet from the shore. (laughs) I, I, I said, really? He said, yeah, Jeff, you think I would just, dr- Jeff, I put the anchor down, I put it down deep into the rocks. We're not going anywhere. How do you know where the shore is? Well, I'm, I'm just familiar with this territory. Shore is right over there. You just couldn't see it because of the water and the clouds. Okay. I felt pretty stupid. <laughs> and he tried to explain to me that the ebb and flow of, of uh, the water, the vicissitudes, they really don't matter because you're anchored, you're staying in one place. Now stay with me. I got to move quickly. Here's our problem. The reason We are the way we are. And I said, we, is because you got the wrong anchor. You got the wrong anchor. You say, Pastor Jeff, you need to get some new material. You've been saying this for a long, no, no, no. I'm going to say it till you get it. Because you know well and good that your security is not in God. You want it to be, but it's in other things. Your demeanor changes and fluctuates based on how much money you have in the bank. For many of you, you're happy when you got a lot. You're sad when you don't because your trust is in money. Your demeanor changes when you think you're fat or when you're skinny. Your demeanor changes when you think people value or don't value you. When somebody says a compliment to you when they don't. Your demeanor changes based on your position at work or the power that you have in your life. All of those things are always shifting and changing. And here's the reason why. Your anchor is one like this. I mean, this anchor is not real. This is just for show. Look at this thing, man. It goes nowhere. It goes nowhere. For many of you, you got the wrong anchor, and it has no chance of going deep enough. And when you got the wrong anchor, your life is unstable at best, man. At best, it's unstable. At worst, you live a total life of fear, anxiety, and panic. Because your soul knows, man, everything you got your trust in is temporary at best. And sooner or later, it will let you down. The other problem with a lot of us is we have the right anchor. It's God, but it doesn't go down deep enough. It's not like this. It's like that. You you believe in God. But if truth were known, you really don't believe that he'll deliver for you. So you take matters into your own hands and keep taking the fruit of the tree and you keep bringing death into your life. And the reason is because you don't trust God's way. You just don't. And your anchor's there, but you're spinning all over because it doesn't go down deep enough into the rocks. You believe that all of history is his story. You just believe your story he forgot about. And you've kind of been sidelined and he's not involved in your life. Now, here's the good news. And here's the story of Genesis 15. I got to do it quickly. Guess what? God does not get angry with you because your anchor doesn't go deep enough. He feels sorry for you. He knows you need help. So he wants to help you get the anchor down so that you can live the big life. Notice what happens. Here we go. Genesis 15, 8. But Abraham said, oh, sovereign Lord, how can I know I will gain possession of it? God, how do I know you're going to fulfill all these promises? I know you have a hope and a future and your, your, uh, your intention is to prosper me, but God, how can I know? How can I be sure? God, help me. And God doesn't say, how dare you ask me that, Abraham? Who do you think you are? Don't you know who I, how dare you? No. God says, okay, I know, Abraham. Another example of God loving a man in the scripture. I know I'm going to help you. And here's what happens. Verse 9, so the Lord said to him, bring a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these things to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcass, but Abram drove them away. Now, does that seem just bizarre to you? And that's because Genesis was not written to you, it was written for you. But in the ancient world, notice Abraham doesn't say, you want me to do what, when, and how? You want me to get a bunch of dead animals, cut them into pieces, separate them so there's a path right in between? What are you talking about? No, Abraham knows exactly what, what's happening. Let me explain to you what's happening. You and I, when we enter into a contract, uh, let's take a wedding. Uh, in New Zealand, we have what is called the signing of the register. And in America, we do the same thing, right? But we do it after the service, right? Right? In New Zealand, you do it right in the middle of the service. You stop right in the middle and you kneel down both the bride and the groom with the pastor and you sign right there in front of everybody. Because here's the idea. A contract is not a contract. A covenant is not a covenant until you've signed your name. That's how the West operates. Oh, sovereign groom, how do I know that you will love me for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer? The answer, I'll sign my name. When you buy a house, my wife and I lived in a trailer and a farmhouse most of our lives. Finally, after 25 years of marriage, we saved enough money to get our first house up and up, one, first house we've ever owned. And Yoli, our real estate agent said, let me give you a warning, Jeff. When you come to settle on the house, you're gonna sign more paper than you could ever th- imagine. And there was a stack this big that I had to sign an initial, sign an initial, sign an initial. I stopped reading after about the second page. I probably gave the universe away or something. Who knows? <laughs> it's a contract, it's a promise, it's a commitment you sign. Business partners do the same thing. They shake hands. It's an honorable thing, but they still sign because you're not held to the consequences of breaking the covenant until you sign. Once you sign and you violate the covenant, then you're held responsible. Unless, of course, you're married to my wife. She tells me, if you ever leave me, I'll hunt you down like the dog that you are. And so (laughs) that's a different story. Now, Here's the point. Abraham did not live in a written culture. Abraham lived in an oral storytelling culture. So in his culture, when you wanted to make a covenant or a contract, you didn't write anything. You publicly acted out the consequences that you wanted to happen to you if you violated your covenant. You with me? Jeremiah 20, uh, 34, 18, The men who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walk between the pieces in Abraham's day, you didn't shake somebody's hand in in agreement. How wimpy is that? You cut animals up and you posted them on each side. And then you walked through. And here's what you're demonstrating. If I don't keep my covenant and promise, may I be cut off from the land of the living. May I be cut into pieces. May I be bruised and separated like these animals on the ground. Now, do you know what's happening? Look at what happens next. The Bible says, the sun was setting. Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And when the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Abraham knew exactly what God was doing when he told him to go get the animals, cut them into pieces and separate them. This is a covenant ratification ceremony. That's why Abraham doesn't say, well, you want me to do it? No, he says, okay, God, we're gonna enter a covenant. Great. Abraham's expecting to walk through to keep his part of the bargain. Yet God brings a deep sleep over him. And when he wakes up, do you know what he sees? The Shekinah glory of God. These are the two words, same words used to describe God when he gives Moses the 10 commandments and there's smoke and fire on the mountain. And the same smoke and fire that led the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire by day and night. Think about what happens here. He wakes up and here's what he sees. It's the best way I can describe it to you. My grandfather had an old shed out back his house and he kept firecrackers in there, but he would not let us lighten them all at once, just one or two at a time every time we came over. My brother and I got a great idea. Let's go out into the shed, close the door and light all the firecrackers at once inside the shed. And so we went and we lit the firecrackers. Our grandfather heard what we were doing. He locks us in. And so all these firecrackers are going everywhere. Smoke is everywhere. We've got our lips down to the floor trying to breathe the oxygen about one inch from the floor. Smoke everywhere. You're overwhelmed. You can't breathe. You can't see straight. When my father died, my father, my brothers asked if I'd do the funeral. I thought I could push back the emotions. I was fine until I walked in going through the chapel where we're going to have the funeral service. And there plaster all over the wall were pictures of my father with my children. And have you ever seen something or heard some news or received a phone call that you found it hard to stand? That you're so overwhelmed with sadness, you can hardly stand. These are the two ideas. Abraham wakes up from his dream or his vision and all of a sudden he sees walking through the pieces, smoke and fire and the kind glory of God going through the pieces. Abraham had no idea Genesis chapter 15, verse 17, it passed between the pieces, what God was going to do. Do you know what's happening here? Do you you realize what's going on? This is the gospel. This is the gospel already. There are two problems. When God gives us promise of what is to come, there are two problems. Number one is our problem with God. We say, God, how do I know I can trust you? How do I know that you really deliver? And God says, Abraham, I'm going to help you get the anchor down deep. And he says, We're going to enter into a covenant ratification ceremony and I'm going to walk through the pieces. He's saying to Abraham, Abraham, if I don't keep my fulfillment, if I don't fulfill my part of the covenant, may I be cut into pieces. May I be cut off from the land of the living. May my immutability experience mutation. May my unchanging nature change. May the impossible become possible. May my immortality suffer mortality. May my infinitude suffer finitude may God be killed. May I die. He who can never die, may I be cut off from the land of the living if I don't fulfill the covenant I've made with you. But the problem is, if Abraham's like us, and he is, Abraham's real problem is not with God. Who's Abraham's real problem with? Himself. (laughs) He knows God's gonna keep, but he's probably thinking, okay, God, I know you're gonna keep your word, but I'm not sure I'm gonna keep mine. I know that you're my God, but I'm not sure I'm gonna stay your people. Because there are gonna be times in my life where I'm gonna mess up. I'm gonna do the wrong, even though I know the right. There's, there are valleys in my life when I'm not even gonna seek you, God. There are times I'm gonna stray from you. What about then? What about then, God? I mean, God, how many times will you really forgive me? I mean, is there a time when I, that's it? 10,476, that's it, the line right here. Now you forfeit all the promises. God, my real problem is not you, it's me. How do I know about me? How do I know that I won't blow it? How do I know I won't do something stupid and all the promises you've given, I will forfeit? Most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, think on the day of accountability, we're gonna walk up to God and God's gonna be standing there like this. Really? You broke the covenant a thousand times, but you expect me to keep my part of the bargain and say, come on in, faithful servant. God said, I'm going to help you with that, Abraham. This is so cool. God walked between the pieces, but he never said to Abraham, it's your turn. In the ancient world, two people both walked through. In the ancient world, sometimes you would have a king enter into a contract or covenant with a servant. But when you did, only the servant went through, not the king. And never the king on his own. But in this story, God did something that Abraham didn't even fathom until later on. God said, Abraham, I'm going to walk through the pieces on both of our behalves. This is the gospel. It is not a cooperative effort. It's not God helps those who help themselves. No, 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 no. Do you see what's happening here? God says, Abraham, I know you're going to break your covenant. I know you will. I'm going to walk through the pieces for both of us. I will take the consequences of both of us. You with me? Abraham, may I be cut off from the land of the living if I don't uphold my part, but Abraham, may I be cut off from the land of the living if you don't do yours. Abraham, I'm going to bless you even if it means I have to die. And he did die because in Mark chapter 15, darkness came over the earth the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Isaiah 53 says, for he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was punished. <laughs> How could you ever doubt a God like this? Who would say, I'm going to make a covenant with you and I know you're going to break it, but I am going to pay the penalty for your violation." And God walked between the pieces. And what was impossible became possible. His infinite two became finite. God died and was cut off from the land of the living, trampled in the dust. Darkness came over the land. Do you know what our problem is? Our problem, you know what it is? We don't trust God. Whatever he's done, whatever he does, it's never enough. That's why we're so bitter, because we don't trust God's justice. Think about it. You're angry and you're bitter and you're unforgiving because you don't trust God's justice. Delayed justice is not the same thing as no justice. And you want to take matters into your own hands so you're bitter and you're angry at people. Even though God did this for you, you violated his covenant. You're quick to bring revenge on people who violate yours. You're bitter, we're angry, because we know the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, but we want to be used as God's instrument to bring it. We hate ourselves and we're riddled with low self-esteem because we really don't trust that God accepts us, that loves us, gives mercy and grace to us. We think it's based on our performance, so we never really trust God's love for it. Do you know why we disobey? Oh, we disobey because we don't trust the wisdom of God. We don't really believe that intimacy and in the presence of God is more valuable than anything we could get by disobedience. We think to ourselves, man, I better do what I think makes me happy right now. Because if I do what God tells me, it may not make me happy and I'll lose out. What's the problem? You don't trust God. You don't trust God. Anxiety, fear, worry, doubt, depression. You don't trust God. Your anchor is in the water, but it doesn't go deep enough. Stay with me. There's only one thing you can do. Well, I know what it is, Pastor Jeff. I can get my anchor deep. You can't. Only God can. This is the beauty of the Christian story. It's nothing like ancient civilization. Nothing like it at all. In this story, whatever God requires, he gives to you. So you go to God and you say, God, I got a problem. I don't trust you. God's not going to say, i never do that. He's going to say, I know you don't. You're like Abraham, like everybody else, but... I'll tell you what, Pastor Jeff. If you want your anchor to go deeper, I'll do it. I'm going to have to work on you for a while, but we're going to do it together. I'm going to get that anchor down real deep. The guy in the book of Mark said, help me in my unbelief. John the Baptist said, are you really the one? Jesus said, think about it now, John. Think about it. Think about what you've seen and heard. You'll know I'm the one. He doesn't say, how dare you ask me. Ask him to help you get your anchor down low. And whatever's happening around you, you will stand strong. You will weather the storm because you know He's faithful. And anytime you doubt it, you look back to Genesis 15. He walked through the pieces, not only for Abraham, but for you and me. Folks, do you know what the upper story is? Wait a minute, Pastor Jeff. It took you 40 minutes just to do the lower. 30 seconds. You know what the upper story is? This. The upper story is when Abraham goes up to take the life of his son Isaac, but he knows God's not going to make him do it. He's not. How do you know that, Pastor Jeff? Genesis chapter 22, verse 5. He said to the servant, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship them. We will come back to you. He knows God's not going to go. He knows God. He trusts God. So much so that he's willing to start the knife down before the angel of the Lord grabs his arm. And then finds a ram in the thicket. And behold, what? God will provide the lamb. There is no story like this anywhere in ancient civilization that what God requires, he gives. And let me tell you, we should be the happiest people on the planet. Because we know... God has given us a promise of a new hope, a new land, a new future. It will come, and no matter how bad things look right now, our anchor goes down deep, and we will not be dismayed. That's a good story. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you so much for our time together. Pray in Jesus' name that you would go with us, that you would open our eyes, and if there's anyone here right now that wants to know the difference between the story of Christ, history, all of history, and what God is doing in the world, that you would open their eyes as they seek you. Those who pray that the anchor would go down deep, I pray that you would bless them and start the journey in their lives where you're going to help them, as you did Abraham, to get the anchor down deep. It is my prayer, our prayer together in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen.
0: You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts.